So as you may have noticed, I'm not the person who usually gets up and talks on Sunday mornings. Uh, my name is Alex. I am the pastoral intern that is here for the summer. So I'm really happy to be here with you all right now, and you will be hearing from me more in the coming months. So there's a joke I heard once that goes something like this. There's a young man on the edge of a bridge about to jump, and an older fellow runs up to him and says, young man, don't do it. And the young man in response says, I have nothing to live for. Nobody loves me. So the older fellow says, that's not true. God loves you. Do you believe in God? And the young man says, yes, actually, I I do. And so the older fellow asks, oh, okay, well, what religion do you believe in? And the young man says, well, I'm actually, I'm a Christian. And the older fellow says, oh, me too. Are you Protestant or are you Catholic? And the young man replies, I'm, I'm Protestant. And the older fellow says, oh, me too. What denomination are you from? And the young man says, I'm, I'm Baptist. So the older fellow replies, me too. Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? And the young man says, Northern Baptist. And the older fellow says, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? And the young man says, Northern Conservative Baptist. And the older fellow says, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region or Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern Region? And the young man says, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region. And the older fellow says, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. And so the young man says, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. So the older fellow says, die heretic, and pushes him off the bridge. (laughs) I'm I'm glad you found that funny. (laughs) So that's a joke, right? It's not a true story. But I think it speaks to something that that is actually kind of true, and that's that Christians are not very good at unity. So if you look at history, it seems like any time two Christians disagree, they split and a new denomination happens. So over the past several weeks, We've been doing a series called, What Should We Believe? We've been working through the Apostles' Creed, which is a statement put together by the early church to lay down the foundations of Christian faith. And so these are the essentials if you want to say that you are a Christian. And so over the past few weeks, we've been working through the Creed line by line, explaining what each line means and why each line is essential to Christian belief. So the Creed starts with a statement about God the Father saying, I believe in God the Father, Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. Then it moves into some statements about Jesus. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day, He rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. Then, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Following that, we get a couple statements about the church, which Rob started on last week. So Rob talked about the line, the Holy Catholic Church. And he talked about how we are called to be holy and set apart from the culture around us. However, another important thing about that line is that it says, the church, as in one church. It's not, I believe in holy churches. So this line that we're going to look at this week speaks to a similar idea. This week we'll be looking at the communion of the saints. And yet, as the joke I told at the beginning points out, 
Christians aren't very good at communing with each other. Right? There's, of course, the split between Catholics and Protestants and between Catholics and Orthodox. Those divisions go back hundreds of years. But then there are divisions between Protestant denominations as well. So we're not Bromley Road Protestant Church. We are Bromley Road Baptist Church because Baptists are a unique denomination of Christians that have split off from some time in the past. So some estimates actually put the number of Christian denominations as high as 50,000. And that's to say nothing of rifts within denominations over non-theological issues. Right? So we see congregations split over politics, over worship styles, and over leadership issues. So what do we do with that? How can we have communion with each other when we are so fragmented? So that's the question I hope to answer today. Before we get into that, let's pray. God, thank you for gathering this community together. Thank you for putting us into this context where we can learn and grow alongside other Christians. Thank you for bringing this community together here this morning and for giving us the opportunity to learn about your calling for us. God, I pray that you would open our hearts and open our minds to receive and understand what you've called us to do and to be. Help us be receptive to your message for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, the communion of the saints. Those are some church words that you may not be familiar with, but even if you are, the way the creed is using them is not the way that we often use them in church. So let's break down what they mean. So I'll start with saints. So the creed doesn't mean this in the Roman Catholic sense. It doesn't mean godly people or miracle workers who have died and gone to heaven and are now can speak to God on our behalf. Right? It's not talking about Mother Teresa, or Francis of Assisi. By saints, it means all Christians. So in the Bible, the Greek word that is translated as saints means the holy ones or the holy people. And as Rob talked about last week, we are called to be holy. We are called to be set apart and to be different from the culture around us. That's the calling of all Christians. So the saints, in the plural sense used here, is all Christians. This line in the Creed is talking about all Christians having communion. So what about communion then? Well, we often use the word communion to refer to the Lord's Supper, the thing we do where we eat little bread wafers and drink Welch's grape juice. We call that communion. But that's not actually the definition of the word. The Lord's Supper is a form of communion, but in the same way that not all rectangles are squares, the word communion can be used to talk about a lot more than the Lord's Supper. The word communion is actually the old English word for fellowship. So if you look up the word communion in a dictionary, you'll find it means something like the sharing or exchanging of intimate thoughts and feelings, especially when the exchange is on a mental or spiritual level. So communion is about relating to other people and entering into relationship with them. We call the Lord's Supper communion because we're entering into a deep relationship with God. In that process, we are entering into fellowship with him. Now, different Christian denominations understand how that works a little differently, but they all agree that the Lord's Supper brings us closer to God. So having a relationship with God is, of course, a key part of Christianity. It's arguably the key part. But it's not what this line of the creed is referring to. It doesn't say, I believe in communion with God. It says, I believe in communion with the saints. 
So this line of the creed is actually talking about fellowship with all Christians. According to the creed, something about our relationships with each other is important to the Christian faith. And in fact, it's important enough to be included in this document of foundational beliefs alongside statements about God and about Jesus. So that raises the question then, why did the writers of the creed include this emphasis on church and on Christian relationships? Right? Because it's the work of Jesus on the cross that saves us. Right? So why other people? Isn't it just about me and Jesus? Well, the Bible actually teaches that Christian unity matters a lot. Our relationships with each other are put on a pretty high place of importance in the Bible. So, for example, in John's Gospel, one of the last things Jesus prays for before being handed over to the Romans was the unity of his followers. Now, this prayer is prayed to the Father, but Jesus says it in the presence of his disciples. Right? This is something that they were meant to hear. And this is what Jesus prayed. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. So Jesus had spent the last three years teaching his disciples, teaching them about himself, about the coming kingdom, about how to interpret the law, among many other things. Now, as he's getting ready to leave the world, this is one of his final takeaways he wants to leave the disciples with. Of all the things he could have included in his final prayer, he decided to include a call to unity. That should signal to us that our relationships with each other are really important. Okay, but why though, right? Like, that's the next question. Why is this so important? Why does Jesus pray for it? Well, to answer that, we can go a little bit further in the prayer in John 17. So later on the prayer, Jesus elaborates on why he's praying for unity. So he prays, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them might be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world might believe that you have sent me. So uh, that's, that's pretty big, right? So according to Jesus... Our relationships with each other are essential to the message of Jesus. When Christians are united, it serves as a proof of the legitimacy of Jesus. But on the flip side, that implies that when Christians are divided, it makes the message of Jesus seem less legitimate. Think about it this way. If we say that the message of Jesus is about love, but we are fighting and divided, people are going to look at Christianity and doubt that it is really about love. Maybe it's not about love and Christians are lying. Or maybe it is about love, but it's like a weak love that doesn't really affect how they live and it doesn't really matter. And who could blame people for thinking that way? Right? Jesus said, you can know a tree by its fruits. And James said he shows his faith by his works. Our actions demonstrate what we believe. If people look at our fruit and see division and hate, they're going to think Christianity is about division and hate. On the flip side, if Christians are united, the opposite is true. When we live out our message, it makes the message more credible. If the fruit is good, people want to know more about the tree. 
So we can actually see this in action in the early church. If we look at the beginning of Acts, we can see the unity of the early church and the effect that it had. So this is what the historian Luke records. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions and gave to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added daily to their number those who were being saved. So the close relationships of the early disciples, the ones that they had with each other, showed the people around them that there was something special about the early Christian community. Because of the love and care for each other that they had, their numbers were growing daily. So given all that, what does unity look like in the modern Christian landscape? Do we all need to agree on everything? Do we all need to figure out which denomination has it right and all join that one? No, obviously not, right? That's not realistic. So most Christians you know, hold firmly to the beliefs that make their denomination unique. And I don't think they're going to be convinced to switch. And that they should, by the way, have believe in what makes their denomination unique right? If I didn't believe Baptists had the right of it, I wouldn't be a Baptist and I wouldn't be here this morning. But even if we could get everybody to agree right now, I don't think it would last very long. Eventually somebody would have a new idea and some people would like it and some people wouldn't. And then we would split again. So disagreements between people are inevitable. So we need some kind of unity that will withstand us having different beliefs about some things. So how do we do that then? Well, actually, it's something I've kind of already alluded to. It's love. We need to love one another in spite of our differences. So Jesus prayed that we, in the, er, that we would be one as he and the Father are one. Now, Jesus and the Father are one in lots of different ways, some of which we can imitate and some of which we can't. Right? So we can't be of the same substance as Jesus and the Father are. We can't all somehow merge into one mega being. But we can love each other. Right? It's possible for us to love one another. And not just any old love. Right? We need to love the way that Jesus loved. The love that he and the Father shared was the model that Jesus used to illustrate the kind of love we should have for one another. It's a selfless love that is aimed entirely towards the benefit of the other person rather than any kind of self-interest. It doesn't expect anything in return. That's the kind of love that Jesus lived, and it's the kind of love that we are called to. Now, there absolutely are things that we do need to agree on. Right? If we don't agree on anything, then it's not really possible to say we're together in any meaningful way. And in fact, that's why the Apostles' Creed was written. It lays out the basic central beliefs of Christianity that all Christians need to hold to. If you can't say yes to the creed, you're probably outside the bounds of right Christian belief. But the Apostles' Creed doesn't actually say very much. It lays out the basics of the Trinity, of Jesus' life, and what that means for our lives. Right? So the core essentials of the faith. But it doesn't really talk about anything beyond that. It doesn't say whether there should be a pope, or what kind of music we should use in our worship services, 
or what political positions we should hold. Right? It's good to have opinions about those things. So, for example, I don't think there should be a pope, and if I did think that, I would be a Catholic, not a Baptist. But those things shouldn't divide us from our Christian brothers and sisters. So, a good friend of mine in Nova Scotia, where I go to school, is Catholic, and we love to talk about theology. And obviously, we disagree on a lot, but we don't let that get in the way of our friendship. Because we both believe the same basic things about Jesus and about Christianity, we can see each other as fellow Christians and treat each other as fellow Christians. We disagree about a lot of things, but that doesn't get in the way of our shared commitment to following Jesus. If something isn't in the creed, maybe it's secondary to loving each other. So you can actually see this emphasis on love in the letters of Paul. Paul wrote to churches that were divided over many different issues, theological issues, but also leadership issues and money issues. And Paul weighed in on all of those issues and said what he thought was right. Paul had a lot of opinions about a lot of things. But through it all, he emphasized the love that Christians should have for one another. So, for example, in Ephesians 4, 2-6, Paul writes, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So Paul does lay out a sort of proto-creed here, as scholars call it. He emphasizes that there is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism that he and the Ephesians all believe in. And passages like these are what the authors of the Apostles' Creed drew on when they were writing that creed. But beyond that, the Ephesian church is called to be patient with one another and bear with one another in love. They're called to keep the unity not through perfect agreement, but through the bond of peace. Though the church in Ephesus had their disagreements, and that's why Paul was writing to them, he urged them to stick together and love one another. And that extends beyond theology. A lot of what divides us today isn't actually theological. It's the kind of music we use in our worship services, or the political issues we hold, or issues of money and funding. And those aren't unimportant things to discuss and hopefully eventually come to an agreement on, but maybe we don't. Maybe we just stay disagreeing. But even then, we should bear with one another in love and keep the peace. There's an old hymn called, They Will Know We Are Christians By Our Love. You may know it. You may not. It's fine. Um, I think it really captures what our calling is as a Christian community. But there's one line that isn't quite right. At least I think so. It says, we pray that our unity will one day be restored. Now, we should pray for unity, right? I believe that prayer is effective and it's good, and if we want to be unified, we should pray for that. But we shouldn't just pray for it. We also need to act on it. And if we do love each other, even in spite of our differences, they will know that we are Christians by our love. When we love each other, we model the love of Jesus to the world around us. And loving people in spite of our differences with them sends a powerful message, especially in this modern age of polarization and division. 
If we want to spread the message of Jesus' love, we need to show that love in our relationships with each other. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are a God of love. Thank you for loving us and for showing us through Jesus what that love should look like. God, help us show your love to one another because we're not very good at it. As broken people, we want to be right and we want our way. Help us to see and understand the love that you have shown us through Jesus and help us live out that love in our lives. God, I pray that when we show love to one another, it would serve as a powerful witness to the world. In this age of division, may the love we have for each other shine like a beacon in the darkness and draw people to you. When people look at us, God, may they say you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.